Well, hey everyone, you're tuned in to the Philippi Sermons Podcast. We're currently in a series through the book of Acts. If you want more information about our church, head over to philippichurchgp.com. There you can also find a link to our other Conversations podcasts, where we interview people and have Jesus-centered, Jesus-focused conversations. Hey, may the Lord bless you and speak to you as you take in His Word. Have you ever noticed uh, that as you go through life, the reality of life starts to overtake the idea of life? Uh, I think when you're young, you know, you have these ideas of uh, what things are going to look like in your life. Um, let me give you some examples. As you get older, they start, start to change. You start to lower the bar sort of quickly <laughs> as you go. Okay, uh, here's one. Um, when I was, you know, 18, 19, I used to go to the gym for two hours a day, and I just would work out and work out, and my goal was to get, you know, really big uh, and, and just really in shape. Uh, now, I have three kids, and uh, I'm 30, and my goal now is just to not be obese. That's, so that's my goal. Uh, you just lower the bar, you know? I mean, it's, and, and, and not die of a heart attack. That would be nice. Um, so that's, that's that goal. Uh, another example would be kids. Okay, you have, you have your first child. I can still remember my wife and I having the conversation about um, how our kids, were, how we were going to raise them. Remember those days? And, you know, our kids, of course, would be the smartest kids, and um, which my kids are the smartest kids because they're tuning in right now. But uh, uh, they would be smarter than every other kid. They wouldn't misbehave. They wouldn't be that kid in the grocery store, you know, throwing a ketchup bottle at mom because uh, mom said no to buying a toy. Uh, those, of course, would not be our children. They would be the perfect children. And then as you go on, you know, your, your bar for being a parent sort of lowers to, I just don't want to kill them. I want them to still be breathing, um, and I don't want to go to jail, and I would like them to, to, to just grow up and be an adult and move on. That's, that's the goal, right? Um, as you grow into the reality of being a parent. Uh, another one is, is influence. I, you know, for a lot of, especially in ministry, with these ideas of how we're going to influence the entire world, we're going to be this global person, that's going to make a big change. And, um, and then you realize uh, that you're actually not that amazing and, and then that you just really hope that you can just be faithful to the little bit that God has given you and not totally screw that up. I saw a really funny sign that kind of made me, inspired this thought. I saw a funny sign at, uh, it was at the dump and uh, it was the office. I was paying for, for the, for the um, dumping some stuff and the gal that was working there had a sign behind her. It said, um, two goals for today. Number one, don't forget to wear pants when you leave the house. Number two, don't freak out and lose it at work. And that was it. <laughs> I just thought, those are some goals that I like, man. I like, don't, don't freak out and lose it. We tend to lower the bar sometimes. Um, and I think Hollywood has this idea that, um, or paints this idea, I think, in movies that, um, that we all are supposed to be this kind of um, paramount figure in life. And, and our challenges in life are actually just things that we need to overcome and show the world how amazing we truly are. But I don't know that that's necessarily the way we should look at limitations and challenges. I think, I think as Christians, sometimes our uh, limitations and challenges aren't just something we need to break down and, and overcome so we can become something um, so amazing. I think a lot of times they're something that God is graciously using to funnel us into his actual will for our life. Maybe God's will for your life isn't that you would have the Pinterest perfect house and the, the completely perfect obedient children. And maybe God's will is that he would give you some kids that have some particular challenges. 
And in that uh, maybe you, you won't be as successful as you thought you were going to be in your career, or maybe you aren't as charismatic or as affluent or as intelligent as you had hoped that you were. And maybe God's will for you is that you would learn to live within your limitations in such a way that actually um, brings faithfulness. And I think a lot of us have a hard time learning that. Now, how that ties into our text, you'll see here in a minute. I think Paul was someone who was constantly coming up against limitations, um, and he was coming up against reality of, of the real world, um, constantly being beat up, constantly being in prison, constantly dealing with his own struggles personally. Um, and I think the text that we're going to look at you know, this morning is, is really, it's really no different. So I want to talk about overcoming challenges and limitations um, as a church. Uh, you guys know we're, we're limited right now. Um, you know, this is, this is not what we probably would, would prefer. Right now, I'd prefer to be with you guys. I mean, I, I told my wife last night, I'm like, it makes me sad that I'm going to, to preach at Heritage and I don't get to see everybody. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm going to talk to a camera. I mean, I get to see you guys, but I, I see you anyways. Um, you know, and so uh, it, it's, it's, there's limitations right now for all of us. Some of us are limited in our ability to go to work and provide. Some of us are limited in, in our social interactions. We're stuck. We feel like God is sort of putting tighter boundaries and barriers around our life, and it starts to feel like, well, Why? You know, why? What, God, what are you trying to funnel us towards? And I think a similar thing is happening in our text. And I think it, it, it forces us to want to kind of ask the question, how do we overcome those limitations? And maybe not even how do we overcome them? How do we, how do we follow God's funneling and guiding and leading into what maybe he actually has for us? So let me introduce you to the text, and then we'll have some dialogue um, about the text. So if you guys have your Bibles, Acts chapter 20, Hopefully you're already there. Uh, and let me just walk through it. It's a short section. I'll give you a little bit of commentary um, on the text, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll draw out some application here. So Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 1. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said, farewell, and departed from Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece and there he spent three months. Now those are the kinds of verses that you read and you just go, okay, great, move on to something um, else. But there's a lot happening here that we actually learn if you understand the commentary that was given by Paul the Apostle um, in his letters that he wrote. You know, a lot of people don't realize that when Paul is traveling in his three missionary journeys, he's writing a epistles, letters to living churches, oftentimes from these particular places. So let me just uh, explain as just kind of a, a helpful understanding um, what's going on here. So Paul is in Ephesus, as we looked at last week, if you were tuned into Heritage. Um, he was in Ephesus. There was a riot that started because Paul wasn't good for uh, the business of idolatry. He was um, you know, challenging the, the business of creating idols, basically. Um, so, so this riot starts. And that's kind of what he says there in verse 1. After the uproar ceased, um, Paul sent for the disciples. He encourages them, says farewell, and he departs for Macedonia. Macedonia is northern Greece. Now, what's interesting in terms of some background here, um, is that Paul had sent a letter to the Corinthian church. Um, it was a painful letter, as he referred to it. It was a letter that basically was a rebuke, uh, an open rebuke to some of the sinfulness that was going on in the church. He sent that letter off, and he was a little bit stressed about it. Um, and you hear that coming out in 2 Corinthians. He was stressed about how they were going to receive it. Um, so he sent his boy Titus to go to Corinth, uh, which is in southern Greece, to go and see how the letter was received. 
He hadn't heard back yet from Titus, so he's starting to get a little bit stressed. So um, he, he, he leaves Ephesus, I think probably with a heavy heart, and he begins the trek to get to Corinth to see how he will be received. And on the way, he does end up reconciling with Titus. He gets a good report that Corinth had repented and that they had um, turned from some of the stuff that they were doing. And, um, and then Paul sits down and writes 2 Corinthians. So if you want to go read 2 Corinthians, that's the context that he writes that, that book in. So he's headed, his, his goal in this third missionary journey is to get down to Corinth, um, and he does that. It says he spends three months in Greece, uh, and that's Corinth, and it's actually within that time that he writes the letter to the Romans. So if you read Romans, that's where he sat down and wrote that. But that's just all side note, um, interesting things, but it's helpful sometimes when you put Acts in context with the other epistles, just super interesting. Then Luke gives us uh, basically a snapshot of um, all of his travel companions in verse 4. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, Secundus, uh, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus, Trophimus. Uh, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days. Okay, now again, this seems like, like dry material, but um, what's really interesting here is that Paul, his ultimate goal was to get back to Jerusalem, and he was taking up an offering for um, the Jerusalem church, the Jerusalem Christians, from all of these Gentile churches, because the Jerusalem church is going through a hard time. So this random sampling of all these different guys that are traveling with him, they were kind of um, sort of the, uh, the accountability of each church that we're, we're, we're going to make sure that those um, monies got back to the Jerusalem church. Uh, at least that's what a lot of commentators think. Now, um, Luke is just blitzing through months of travel journeys here. He's just like not mentioning anything, not mentioning anything, not mentioning. And then he stops in, 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 in Troas and he decides that there's a story that happens in Troas that he just has to put into the book of Acts. And I almost wonder, I don't think this is true, but I almost wonder if Luke had this kind of relationship with Paul where he's like, hey, Paul, remember when you preached so long and it was so boring that that kid fell out the window and died? I'm putting that in the book of Acts because that's just too funny to not put in there, right? I, I just, I don't know. Um, but that's basically the story that Luke decides to stop and zoom the camera in on. And that's basically the bulk of our text this morning. So look at that in verse seven. On the first day of the week, which would have been Sunday, okay? Uh, by the way, this is the first time that the New Testament mentions the church actually meeting on Sunday. Uh, they did that because that was when our Lord rose on, on Sunday, which for them would have been the first day. So on the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. Okay, so here's kind of what's happening. We have a really cool snapshot, actually, of the early church and what it looked like when they would gather and when they would meet. And interestingly, they're meeting in the evening. Um, and we don't know exactly why, but um, actually F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, one of the commentators, he, he points out, he thinks that it is because um, this was a largely Gentile church and many of them would have been bond servants and many of them didn't have the freedom to meet in the morning. That was work time. They worked in the day. So in the evening would have been the time that they would have been freed up to actually um, come to church. And so I love that. The flexibility, which we'll talk about in a minute, the flexibility of the church to gather when it was appropriate for, for everybody. It says they broke bread, which means they had a meal. Okay, they had a meal. They were a family. They were, they were, they were coming together to celebrate. Um, that would have probably included some kind of a remembrance of um, the Lord's table. In addition, so um, Paul then delivers a sermon. He probably starts at like 7, 7.30, and he's 
going for three hours, man. Now, any self-respecting preacher has had people fall asleep. I don't care who you are. Even the Apostle Paul has had people fall asleep. Um, it's just the reality, okay? But this is basically what happens is Paul is kind of, kind of going long-winded. Uh, there were many lamps, it says in verse 8. Uh, and lamps doesn't, doesn't mean a lamp. It means like a torch, okay? So there are torches that are lighting up this, this little crowded, stuffy upper room in, Middle East, in the Middle East, um, or in Troas, which is northern, uh, northern Turkey, in the upper room where we gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked a little, still longer. And becoming overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Uh, so what basically what's happened, there's in this stuffy little room, there's all of these torches that are flaming. And, and, and this, this young boy would have been 13 years old. He probably worked in the fields all day. He's totally tuckered out. Paul's maybe talking about some theology and he's just starting to lose it a little bit. So he goes over to the window to get some fresh air and he just totally conks out, flops out the window and dies. Okay. Um, now that's only partly funny. And I almost think it's partly intended to be partly funny. Um, but at the same time, not knowing what was going to happen, it actually would have been really tragic. Okay, I mean, this, this boy's mother was probably in the room, I would imagine. Everyone probably would have known who he was. So you can imagine this is really sweet moment where the Apostle Paul is visiting would have been his last journey to Troas, really ever, um, because he gets arrested right after this. Um, and and, and they're, they're staying up late into the night because he has to leave the next morning. And as Paul is preaching, all of a sudden this young man that you know falls to his death. I mean, it would be an instant inconvenience, an instant interruption, an instant limitation, an instant struggle, frustration as to what they were planning. Okay, they weren't, they weren't anticipating this. Um, it just kind of happened, Okay. And it's really, it's really ultimately um, a sad thing. But here's what happens. Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms, he said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. For you Princess Bride fans, he's only mostly dead, right? Okay. Um, no, he was dead. He was dead. And Paul, like, like an Elijah moment, he, he bends over him, he picks him up in his arms and, and by the power of the Holy Spirit is able to revive him and bring him back, which is just an incredible thing. So when Paul had uh, broken bread, eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. Okay, so after he raises this guy, they go back upstairs and Paul preaches all the way until the morning. I mean, can you believe that? It's, in, it's insane. Um, until daybreak and so departed, verse 12, they took the youth away alive and were not a little bit comforted. In other words, they were very comforted by this encounter with Paul. A couple more travel details and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into this. Verse 13, going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when we had met at Asos, we took him on board and went to, I'm not sure how to say that, Mighty Lawn? Sure, works. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So again, Paul's trying to get back to Jerusalem to bring this offering that he'd been collecting. Okay, so you read a text like that. And you do a little bit of study on it, and you figure out some of the stuff that's going on. And then you step back, and you go, what do you do with this? You know, I mean, what do you do with this? There's no doctrine. Uh, we don't know what Paul's sermon was, although we could probably guess based on some of the other material that he gives. And, and we have to kind of ask the question, you know, what do we do with this? Here's what I think this text is calling us to do. 
I think this text is calling us to say, here, here is two examples, as we'll look at, of Paul being um, restricted by the limitations of what's happening around him. Paul can't control his surroundings any more than we can control our surroundings. And I think that there's some practical, some principles here for us to pull out. So I just want to give you three words, uh, just three points. And with each of these points, I want to um, invite some dialogue um, in with you too. And then um, those are the same questions that we have for you guys, for you to discuss afterwards. And I'd, I'd love to hear what some of the thoughts that you guys ended up having as well. But here's three, three words that I think um, should be noted from this text. Three, um, three attributes, I should say, of the church that I think need to be um, uh, used in this time. In this time, I mean what's happening, okay? What's happening right now for the church as a whole and for us individuals is inconvenient. Those three words are this, flexibility, friendship, and focus, okay? Flexibility, friendship, and focus. So if you want to jot this down, we're going to go through those three things, and I'll show you where I see these uh, in the text. So number one, flexibility. So we see this, um, obviously, in the text where Paul is trying to get... Um, it's actually in verse 3, if you want to take a closer look at verse 3. So he, he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Now that might seem like a small thing. Paul wants to just sail straight where he's trying to go. But unfortunately, um, or he, but unfortunately his, his, his plans are forced to be changed. His plans have to be messed up. Now this was just common for Paul all the time. Paul's plans were always screwed up. Um, whatever he would plan, something would happen. Uh, the Jews, the, the local sort of self-righteous um, Judaizers would, would try to get him arrested or try to get him stoned, and he'd have to leave and completely change his plans. This was just this happened to him all the time. He was constantly in prison. He actually gives his list at some point of all the things that happened to him. Um, he's always having to be flexible. And I think in reality, you know, sometimes we look at hard things that happen and we just think, well, these are just things for us to cast out and move on. But in reality, these are things that God is trying to use to get us where he wants us to go. Now, let me give you an example from Acts chapter 16. Um, and this is where we, the, the church of Philippi is planted, where what we named our church after. And it's a really neat story because Paul is intent on getting into Macedonia. Oh, pardon me, let me back up. He's trying to get into Asia Minor, which is Turkey. He's in, intent on it, and the Holy Spirit will not let him. He just can't get in. So he skirts all the way over the top uh, on the northern part of Asia Minor. Holy Spirit won't let him in. Holy Spirit won't let him in. And finally, he has this vision um, of a man in Macedonia, which is northern Greece, um, calling out for Paul to come and to, to preach the gospel to him. So they say, great. So they head down into um, northern Greece and Macedonia, and there they plant the church called Philippi. And the church called Philippi started with this woman named Lydia. Interestingly, it wasn't a man. It was a woman named Lydia. It was a business businesswoman. She was very affluent and educated, and she was leading a prayer meeting down by the river. And Lydia gets saved, and then she starts a house church in her house. Just this incredible woman, right? And the interesting thing, though, about Lydia, if you do a little bit of digging, is that Lydia was from Asia Minor. <laughs> but she happened to be on business. She had a second home in Philippi in northern Greece. So the crazy thing about that is that Paul wants to get into Asian Minor. God says no, which seems like a limitation, seems like a struggle, seems like a frustration to Paul, I would imagine, like coronavirus. This is a frustrating thing. But in reality, 
it gets him to a place where he meets a gal from the place he was trying to go that he never would have reached, never would have met before. And that's how I think God really leads sometimes. I, I think sometimes God literally leads um, like, like what this might sound funny, but what we would think of as a toilet bowl, like we're just, God is just taking us right down the drain. In fact, is a funnel into his perfect will, into where he wanted us to be all along. And I would imagine Paul had to learn to just roll with the punches, to be flexible, to absorb God's um, plan, you know, right in the midst of that. Another example that obviously is the service that Paul is giving as he's teaching, and then uh, Eutychus falls. I mean, it's like, really? <laughs> really? Right in the middle of my sermon, somebody falls out of the window, and this thing goes crazy? But that Eutychus falling to his death opened up a door for, for the power of the Holy Spirit to be manifested in such a way um, that, that this young man, Eutychus, was raised from the dead, which I guarantee would have been a major boost in the faith of the Troas church, including the community that would have heard about it, so much so that Luke writes it down for us in the text. So you can see how, how the, the seemingly limitations, the seeming, um, the, the seeming uh, challenges that are placed before these guys, Paul by the Holy Spirit, sees them as direction more than he sees them as some kind of something just to, to break through. So here's my question for our first discussion, to, uh, uh, conversation. How have you seen both in prior situations and in our current situation, God using challenges to grow and direct his church? So let's kick that around a little bit because uh, I think this is applicable to the moment that we're in right now. Yeah, I think... Um you're not going to yeah. make Aaron start? That's a great question. <laughs> That's a great question. Before we got on camera, Aaron was like, Jeremy, I'm just, you start every time, and then I will follow up later. Thank you for that. You thought you uh, the camera. Busted. So uh, I, I think we can look back throughout church history and see this same pattern unfolding again and again and again. Um, I, I think most of the revivals that have happened throughout history have happened on the heels of some major cataclysmic event that was sort of happening either locally or globally, whether that be the Revolutionary War or um, World War One and World War Two. Right on the heels of World War Two, uh, Billy Graham started up in the 1940s and began leading crusades, and, and lots and lots of people came to the Lord. And, and the, the obstacles that were there made people aware of the brokenness of the world around them and, and also the brokenness of, of their own lives. I mean, so many people died, for instance, in World War One and World War II. Everybody's thinking about their mortality. Everybody has contact with loss yeah. and, and some sort of grief, and everybody is wondering, like, what, is that it? What comes after, was this worth it? Did we send our, our, our troops away, our family members away uh, into nothing? Uh, what does that really look like? And, and so in, in the face of adversity, I think a lot of times God is waking up the consciousness of the world uh, to where they become sensitive to the gospel in a really mm -hmm. special, special yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, amen. And it reaches into places that it might not have otherwise, mm -hmm. right? And we see back in earlier in Acts, when although howbeit it was persecution in that at that time, but also just the difficulty and adversity, um, it, ministry had been happening and the gospel was being shared, but just in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it spread out into Antioch and, uh, you know, various different places. But that, that was not only just shared amongst the, the Jews and Jerusalem, but expanded from yeah. there. Yeah. So yeah. it provides a reach as yeah. well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, you know, to clarify, I'm not I'm not saying that God is is causing this. This is this is a disease, death, sin, broken world yeah. issue. Mm-hmm. But God is a providential God mm-hmm. that is providentially sort of directing, I keep yeah. using this word funneling, I redeeming. think his believers redeeming, yeah, you know, by guiding us into what he has in the midst of this limitation. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than just oh we need we need to we need to get this gone. Like, yeah, I want it gone. Everybody wants it gone. I yeah. think God's heart is for sin and death and disease to be gone. But while it's here, what is he gonna do in the midst of it? I think um it's been amazing for us. So we planted Philippi six months ago, seven months ago, I guess now. And um, we came out there to reach the broken, right? Like this was, this was the, you know, this was the heart. Like we want to, where are the broken? The, the people that are ready to hear the gospel. And um, I think for all of us, we were kind of like, man, this is harder than we thought. Like people are less excited to talk about the gospel than we thought. And, um, but what's been crazy is the last two weeks, all of that is breaking down. I mean, it's like opportunities. I'm just getting texts like every other day from people in our church. Like, man, I was talking to this person. They're an owner of a business and they're scared and I was able to share the gospel. Or I, I just started a relationship this week with a guy who was in line at the pharmacy and he, mm-hmm. he was expressing fear to me that he had to be there. And I was like, dude, let me get your pharmacy stuff for you. So I mm-hmm. took it out to him and I had an hour long conversation at his house with him and, mm-hmm. and I just was able to share some things with him, starting a relationship with him. God is breaking down the walls that have kept Amen. the gospel, I think, from hard hearts for so long. And it's and, he, and, and God is redemptively using this, yeah. you know, yeah. which kind of leads yeah. me to my, my next question. Which how do you see this happening? Um, and, well, let me just read it. What do you see as, m- as some of the things the Lord may have in mind for this coronavirus in respects to how it's affecting our churches? What are the, some of the things that you see God doing in heritage, in our communities, in Southern Oregon? Yes. Thank yes. You, okay, Jeremy. No, <laughs> no I, I think it's been a real encouragement, particularly because we haven't had, you know, like live streaming options in the past. Um, somewhat being forced into, uh, not just here at Heritage, but I, I mean, really across the country, various churches being like, man, what, what do we do? Like, mm-hmm. if we can't physically meet and do what the church has always done, um, we can't even break into smaller home environments um, just out of, you know, desire to, to take care of other people as well as protect our families. Mm-hmm. Um, so to see the reach in some of these different um, kind of technological ways is is really, really encouraging. I think it's just been also neat and a blessing um, being on staff at a church to be able to see the people engaging and loving each other in different ways, ways that... Um, we just wouldn't normally think are that important. But when you get a text from somebody out of the blue saying, hey, I was just thinking about you and I'm praying for you, um, you know, we just wouldn't think about that otherwise because I think we rely so much on, oh, I'm going to see them on Sunday. I'll just let them know then. And and you don't really give it another thought. But being intentional in those ways has been really neat to see. Yeah. I had a buddy say something to me that was so profound. My buddy Josh uh, Johnson, he was just talking about... um, it was a couple of weeks ago when this thing first started coming down. It was starting to look like, hey, Sunday might not happen, which is just weird. Yeah. And uh, he, he made this comment about movie directors and how movie directors will do this thing where they take their favorite scene out of the movie, the one they're totally attached to, the one they spent so much time editing and, and, and they just love the scene, and they pull it out of the movie, and then they watch it without the scene just to see how important the scene really is to the movie. And um, I think Sunday morning 
whether we meant for it to or not, mm-hmm. has become something that we look to to be the preeminent place that we are the church. And I think Sunday was never meant to carry that. I think Sunday morning just can't be, mm-hmm. especially in larger settings, you know, yeah. where, where hundreds of people are filing in and hundreds of people are filing out and people are being missed and there's prayers that are needed and there's community yeah. needed, you know. And so I almost think what God is, is doing providentially here is he's going, hey, let me take that out. <laughs> this thing that you guys, you know, spend 80% of your time and focus and whatever on, let me pull that out. What are you going to do? And it's, it's forced us, I know, to really be like, well, there's all kinds of things we could do, man. We can do all kinds of things. I mean, we, could, we can preach sermons on YouTube. We can throw uh, encouragements on Facebook and YouTube. We can do Zoom conversations. You know, we can have Slack. I mean, we've, been, we've done more this week, I think, in terms of facilitating community. And it's not the same as being together, but it's, it's good than we ever would have done before. It's pushed us, I think. And, 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 and so, rather, again, rather than being rigid and just being like, oh, we can't do Sunday, what do we do? Being flexible enough to let God guide yeah. um, and use the garbage of the world, like disease, like people dying. I'm not saying this is a good thing. Yeah. I'm saying that God is so good that he takes that garbage and he forms something beautiful out of it, particularly with his people, you know, in his church. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah if I could add to that, I yeah. think... Uh, one of the things that is is happening as a consequence is that uh, it's forcing us to define what the church actually is. Yes. Is it is it only the assembling of God's people in a building? Or is there something that unites us that sort of transcends location? Right. Um, is there something more more definite and more spiritual, honestly, yeah. Yeah. that unites us? Uh, that Can we still be the church? Like I, I read a, an article this last week about whether or not uh, communion was still okay to take if the church is not gathered. And I just thought, how is that, how is that even a debate <laughs> right. in, in the world? Yeah. I mean, we have the spirit of God, yeah. and, uh, and yeah. the church is still the church, yes. whether they are gathered or whether they are scattered throughout. Right. Right. Uh, the, the body of Christ is not divided yeah. in, in that sense. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah. man... Uh, this is good for us to have that redefinition. We, we, I think, as a culture, especially in America, uh, I think we need that that Amen. redefinition. Yeah, what an amazing testimony to um, a culture that when they think church, they mostly think church service. Yep. Like when I pe- when I tell people that I'm a pastor, they go, oh, cool, what do you do the rest of the week? Because they're like, <laughs> isn't church just when you gather? And I'm, I'm like, no, no, it's not, you know? Um, but, but the reality that we know is that, like I, I prayed it, and I think at the beginning, is that the church is a spiritual mm-hmm. organism mm-hmm. Yeah. that is more real than the, the physical connectivity that we have around us right now. I mean, we are one body, yeah. and we will live into eternity as that one body, mm-hmm. you know? And for the world to be able to see, like, wow, the, the church is more than a service, I think is so helpful and so needed, mm-hmm. I think, right now. Let's move on to the second point. So, so number one, again, being flexibility. Uh, and I would encourage you guys, by the way, um, this isn't just for the church. This is, I think, a, a good point for individuals. Okay, maybe you're frustrated right now. You're like, I am stuck inside. They just shut down the forest this week. <laughs> Man, like we were mad about that. We're like, the forest? We can't go in the forest? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like that's that's demonic, right? Like, <laughs> you know, if I can, I can get takeout, I'm good. But no forest. So you know, how is that limitation helpful? But but I think it's it's really going to force us as individuals to say, okay, God, you're putting this wall up, mm-hmm. and you're doing it to try to get me to look at what's right in front of me. And for most of us, I think it's our family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think for a lot of us, it's like, oh, I can't go to work. 
I have a f- beautiful f- family or I have friends around me yeah. or I have something, you know, that I can really press into that God had already given me. I was just so distracted out there with every other thing. So that's a point, I think, for individuals. But let me look at point two. Not only flexibility, but friendship. Um, and you could also put slash family. And I was debating on which word to use, but friendship or family. What I love about this, you just read right past it, but in chapter 20, in verse four, you see this list as I already mentioned, this list of all of the companions of the Apostle Paul. And yes, there was a practical reason why some of these guys had come with him, um, but Paul was modeling what Jesus did, and that was to surround himself with godly people, to surround himself with people that he was discipling, with Timothys, with Barnabases, with Tituses. I mean, you look at this list, there's literally, counting Luke and Paul, there's nine men that were traveling together, and they would have had fun together. I mean, they would have been like, I, I, you know, not to get sappy here, but, but I think about the relationship I have with you guys. You know, we've been through some stuff together. We've been through some hard church things. We've been through some hard life things, and we laugh a lot, and we're friends, and we enjoy each other, but we also enjoy the fellowship that we have, the community that have. I guarantee Paul with his boys around the fire would have been cracking up, having a good time, encouraging one another. Um, and I, th- I just think it's so clear there in the text that, that they did this, they overcame these challenges as a family, as friends. I also love that they broke bread when they came in to the Troas church service. Like it wasn't just a, hey, sit and listen and leave. It was like a meal, you know? It would have been a meal. People would have been laughing. People would have been having a good time. Um, it would have been a, a family event. And Jesus really does model this for us. When he, Jesus' vision for the church um, was not a service, it was a, it was a living family, right? I mean, that was really his, his vision. So a couple verses, um, Jesus in John 15, 15, he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you what? Friends, Friends right? Yeah. Um, John 13, 1, Jesus loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. These were his friends. Um, John eleven thirty six. Jesus is angry, weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. And what is their observation? Behold how he loved him, right? Mm-hmm. John, I mean, I mean, Jesus had this relationship with his friends. Lazarus was his friend. Matthew 12, 46, um, whoever does the will of God, Jesus says, is my brother and my sister and my mother. Remember, I mean, he, he's basically saying you're, you're part of this family if you are part of, of my spiritual life through union with me. John 19, 26 is that verse where Jesus basically assigns Mary, his, his earthly mother, um, who, who really was part of his spiritual family as well, to the disciples. He's like, now take care of each other, your family. Jesus says that they will know, the world will know that you are Christians by your love, by the way that you love each other, by the way that you are a family. Okay, so, so but here's where this gets hard. How do we do that? How do we do that when we're all in our houses, <laughs> okay? How do we do that when, when we can't leave our homes and go fellowship? Because for me, my mind always goes to small groups, church services, gatherings, barbecues. Like that's what I, you know, that's what I'm in the business of trying to create are those environments. And now all those are off the table. But we need to show the world and we need to be the church. We need to show the world what the church looks like. How do we do that? And what is Heritage doing? What is Philippi doing to facilitate that? Let's talk through some of those nuts and bolts. A little bit. Well, and I know yesterday, uh, you know, we've got some really great friends who uh, Sam stole and took all the way out to Grants Pass yep. with him for a church Don't plant. Don't feel bad. And uh, you know, <laughs> we were just longing to see our friends and, and be together with them. So we ended up FaceTiming for seven hours <laughs> yesterday. You FaceTimed for seven hours? We FaceTimed with for the seven hours That's with crazy. the Robies. And then uh, we, we downloaded an online digital game and we played a board game together over our iPads and phones. 
and just hung out and laughed and poked fun at each other <laughs> and cooked dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Total nerds. Played World of Warcraft for eight hours. Uh, but you know, for us, like the, the the value of like still finding ways to connect with our friends. Yeah. It just it filled our house with joy last night. Mm, it, yeah. it just filled our house with laughter. Uh, we've done the same thing with with family. Uh, reaching out to them, phone calls, text. There's a text thread going on with our small group right now. Uh, Jenny Hopkins, who is, is a, a part of our uh, small group, really the, the founding member <laughs> of our small group, she sends out a daily encouragement every single day. Hmm. And it's right at the beginning of the day, she'll send out a video with like a small devotional thought, or she'll send a scripture from you version. That's uh, one of those sort of canned placards that you can yeah. you can make uh, using a scripture. She'll send that out or some things to pray about, update on her family. And and that has just built conversation mm-hmm. in uh, in our small group around the things of God and encouraging one another. So uh, those are some of the things that I've seen. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. I love seeing people get creative too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for me anyway, I I've always kind of push back against like the social media right. of like, I never post anything on <laughs> Facebook or I haven't, I have an account, but I just like stock and like, don't ever do anything, but, um, <laughs> just stock. <laughs> but to, <laughs> but to, uh, like be forced into posting on the heritage, you know, thing, yeah. daily devotionals and little uh, thoughts, things like that are, are, are good exercises to use our cultural mediums mm-hmm. to just communicate. And yeah. I think whereas at one time I kind of push against that, now I'm really realizing like, oh, th- this is a way as a community to enter into each other's lives, yeah. um, especially when we're not seeing each other every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it. Like my mother-in-law has been um, doing uh, Marco Polos with our kids and and reading stories. Is that where you close your eyes and you walk it around is. and go? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Marco! <laughs> is that but not? No. It's, it's not. No. How far audience out there doesn't know probably what Marco Polo Sorry. Is. So it's a video video chat thing. It's like a video walkie-talkie. Thank you. Yes. So she'll read a book to our girls at night. And, uh, and friends will send, you know, like care packages. Our best friend sent care packages for each one of our, our family members the other day. Of course, when we open it, we desanitize, you know, sanitize everything. Like, thank you so much. So wipe insulting. it down. But, um, but it's been just really neat to see people, like, wanting to love each other in unique ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw even just last night uh, there were some people at the Rogue Valley Hospital that weren't able to visit their family members because the hospital shut down. Mm-hmm. And they stood out, they made a giant sign as a family that said, we love you. And then they stood outside the window and just held that sign up so that their what? family could see That's that. That's so and, cool. Uh, I, I think of my wife, for instance, she uh, we have some. We live in the Charles Point apartments, and uh, she's got a good friend who lives across the way. So she just walked over uh, to her friend's house, stood in the yard, and then called her friend through the window, and was like, "I love you. I miss your face." <laughs> you know, That's there's cool. just all kinds of ways that we yeah. can continue to yeah. to nurture fellowship. Totally. And I would encourage everybody out there, you know, because I think the tendency as humans is to go, "Well, nobody's doing that to me," you know, yeah. um, to to go do that. Like, well, I'm not in a group 
text conversation. We'll start one, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, like, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, for, for those of you at Philippi, like, we're, we're using Slack. So if you're not on our Slack conversation yet, jump on there. I mean, people are posting encouraging things daily and articles and Bible verses and all kinds of things, and that's been a cool medium. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a good time, I think, for us, too, to even to kind of redeem technology a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I was telling a, a guy a couple days ago in this podcast, I was like, man, I feel like my whole job just flipped. Like, a, two weeks ago, I was like, get off your phones. Get in person with people. Stop getting on technology. And now, yeah. two weeks later, I'm like, get on your phone. Get on Facebook. You know, it's just totally weird, right? But yeah. I think there's an opportunity to, to, to realize that, that technology is amoral. Okay, there right. is, there's no morality to technology. It's, it's how we use it. It's what we do with it. And, yeah. and this is a good opportunity, I think, to train our brains to, hey, when I get on my phone, it's purposeful. And when I when I when I text someone, it's purposeful. I, I mean, this is an opportunity for us to be thinking about the people in our lives and reaching out to them and finding creative, meaningful ways through the I think the common grace medium of technology. Mm-hmm. Let's look at this third point, and then we'll wrap up here. Um, so we have flexibility, we have um, friendship or family, uh, and then number three is is focus. Okay, and what I mean by by focus is I think it's very important. We've already touched on this for the church in this moment to really narrow in on what it is that we. Um, exist for. <laughs> okay, now it goes without saying that the church exists for the glory of God. Okay, that, that goes without saying. But but I think when you put a finer point on it, what does that really look like? How is the church to function in this time? I see two things in this text. Number one is, is the word of God. And number two is encouragement. Um, first, the word, you see that in verse seven. Okay, Paul spends the entire night and the entire morning. So Jeremy, I know we always give you grief for preaching long. <laughs> just preach as long as you want. No. no um, now no. that everyone's at home, they can just turn no. you off. No. But Paul, I mean, Paul preaches for like six hours. I mean, you want to talk about an emphasis given to the authority of God's word and, mm-hmm. and the living ability for God's word to work. The second thing is, is our, if you look at our text, um, the beginning and the end really is, it bookends our text is encouragement. If you look at the first two verses, it says, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after what? Encouraging them. Okay, this is what Paul did. He was an encourager. He learned it from Barnabas. He learned it from Christ, right? It was something that was sown into him. He said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through these, those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. And then what happens after he raises Eutychus? There was much encouragement, much comfort. I mean, this idea of encouraging one another, um, one commentator I read uh, said that the encouragement is the oxygen of the soul. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. We need to be encouraged. And it takes so little to encourage somebody. Like, it really yeah. does. It just takes so little to do that. Um, and I think as the church, we need, to, we need to function in that in this time. Like, people need encouragement. Mm-hmm. They need encouragement in this time. And the way that we do that, and hear me on this, the way that we do that isn't simply to just say nice, fluffy happy, Amen. good vibe yeah. things, okay? The yeah. world does that all the time. Hey, sending good vibes to you, okay, like, caught them, you know? Like, what does that mean? As, the, as, the, as, as Christians, we don't send vibes or, or we send truth because what we need right now in this time is we need to be removed from the weeds of this whole situation and put into a place of clarity which the gospel brings us to, that God is on the throne, that he is sovereign. And so I encourage you guys as the body to, to encourage each other, but encourage each other in the truths of God's word. That's what Paul did. That's what he spent his time doing. So I may, I may not open this one up for, for conversation because we're running out of time, but I want to say this really quick. Um, this live stream thing, this, this is going to start to feel like something that's easy to just not tune into. 
I was talking to another pastor friend and he's like, yeah, there's, there's kind of a newness to the live stream thing the first week. Everyone's like, ooh, cool, live stream. He's like, we'll see how it goes in four weeks. When people are like, yeah, I could watch the office on Netflix instead, you know, and it's, and still be in my living room. Uh, I just want to encourage everybody out there, like keep pressing into mm-hmm. God's word before you pull out your phone in the morning, get into God's word and then take these truths that you're finding and send them out to each other, encourage each other, mm-hmm. you know, build each other up. And let me just end, try to wrap it up here um, for us. You know, in the, in the beginning, I opened up with this kind of funny idea about how we lower the bar in, in our life. And, and, and the world looks at that as sort of failure, you know, it looks at that as failure. And we've, we've all seen the movies where, um, you know, somebody is, is limited by a circumstance and then they press through it and then they become some amazing great person or whatever at the end of the movie. Um, God's will for us, in fact, let me just read it. First Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And he goes on. But the, the, his point here is that, that the will of the Lord for you is sanctification. Okay, what, what is that? Sanctification is, is, is the setting aside of ourselves. When something was sanctified in the Old Testament, for instance, um, the priests would sanctify the, uh, the instruments before they would be used in the temple. It was a, a, a setting aside for the Lord's use. This is an instrument, and this instrument exists for the Lord's use. So Paul's saying the will of God in your life is that you would further recognize that you are just an instrument in the hands of the Lord. And, and the way that we realize that, I think, is as our limitations and our challenges and our frustrations and our struggles and our pains come, that we go, oh, this is reminding me that my life is not my own right. and that my life is his and that Jesus already lived the perfect life. For me, it is not to be the star of the show. The star of the show has already come. For me, it is to find my place in his story, right? That's, this is our call. This is kingdom economics, that we are growing into the way that Jesus thinks and growing into his personality and into his mind. So I don't know if this is encouraging to you, but I just want to remind you, um, all of us, including myself, you know, that don't, don't see this as, 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 a, as a, a limitation that is going to um, squelch you. See it as, as God's leading hand to get you to look at what's right in front of you. And what's right in front of you? I mean, not only in your family and things like that, but what's right in front of you is the grace of God, the spirit of the yeah. Lord, his word. God and his spirit is in your homes. Um, and, and man, I just, I just think there is so much opportunity in the middle of all of this sadness. And so um, we are gonna have, uh, we're gonna just end with some, some worship and give you guys an opportunity. I think to, to reflect on some of this, hopefully. And I hope that this conversation conter- continues in, in your homes. And mm-hmm. um, so let me, let me pray, and uh, we'll uh, take a, just a, a quick break for a second as Mitch comes back up to, to lead us in worship. So, Father, we just pray that, um, God, in this moment that you have us in, in this Kairos moment, this moment that you have put us in, God, we pray that we would be asking one question and one question only. And that is, Lord, what is your will here? Mm-hmm. And how do we get in? on that? How do we tune into that? Um, Lord, we hear the world pumping into our ears all day long, their analysis of what things uh, are looking like, Lord, but may we tune more into you and more into your word and more into your truth Mm -hmm. than we do anything else, God. I just pray that this scripture would be encouraging to our hearts, Lord, that we would remember um, the seeming inconvenience of Eutychus falling out the window and that we would remember, God, that, that in that seeming inconvenience, you chose to use that to manifest your power greatly. Mm-hmm. So we ask that you would use all of this suffering, that you would redeem all of this pain, redeem all of this hardship, and that you would use it to glorify your son, Jesus, that we would be a conduit of that, Father. 
So Lord, we lift up praise to you even now, God. In Jesus' name, amen.